Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome back. As we head into Hour 2, we do every Monday in our second hour. We get uh, we are delighted to be joined by Brandon Weikert. His book from last year, one of the most impactful books of the year, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. And he's working on a new book now uh, with a lot of focus on the Middle East, which is uh, good for us because there's a lot of questions I have about the Middle East since we last visited with uh, Brandon. Brandon, how are you? Happy Monday. I am good. Thanks for having me. I uh, sent off the manuscript this morning, and, um, you know, it's one of those things that's kind of an anticlimactic thing because I, I didn't get a response email. I just sent it off, and hopefully it's, it's in the ether now. Yeah, so no, no. That, I know that feeling. It's, it's an intense <laughs> feeling. You've, 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 you've put your life's blood into this project, and then you email it to the publisher, <laughs> and then uh, you just hit refresh. <laughs> Check for new mail every five minutes or three minutes. And then you go to sleep and uh, wake up the next day to a message that says something like, fantastic, thank you, getting to it shortly. We'll have comments yeah, back yeah, by Yeah, that's exactly April. how yeah. it happens. Yeah. So there's some uh, inside baseball for your audience. Yeah, no, that's how it goes. The of being a writer. <laughs> I'll tell you, I have you experienced this now? This is your second book, too. The other thing that's kind of I've experienced, I don't know if you have yet uh, or, or, or on this book yet, but um, once you've hit that send and send it to your publisher, you're kind of done with it in a way, and you're kind of thinking about the next project. Are you, yes, are you at that started, point yet? I've already, yeah, I've already started. Right, right. It's a funny yeah. thing. So by the time yeah. you do interviews on this second book, you're already working on your third. You know. That's right. That's right. Do you have a working exactly. title for this book? I know we were mocking the first. Yeah, I, 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 the one I sent them, and I told Alan Eric in the email, you know, we can play around with the title, but the best I could come up with was Iran's plot to destroy the world. So it seemed a bit more, uh, you know, punchy. Uh, so, um, and and, and the, the focus of the book, I'd say about 80% of it, is fixating on Iran and sort of the chicanery it's been up to and and some of what, uh, you know, how stupid some of our leaders have been in dealing with Iran for the last 40 or 50 years now. Um, and it kind of tracks all of the different presidents of America who really messed things up. And really the only bright spot was the Trump administration. And, and at the end of the book, I basically close out with, saying that Biden, if he had half a brain, he would just take credit for what Trump has done with the Abraham Accords and not change anything. Just keep building off of that um, for the sake of our country and our friends in the Middle East. But it looks increasingly like he's going to hit the chicken switch on a lot of this stuff uh, and hand the region over to a nuclear arming Iran. And if anybody thinks that that will create peace in the region, You've got another thing coming because you've got a Shiite Muslim minority in Iran versus Sunni Muslim majority. This is ancient blood feed stuff here. And the Sunnis are not going to be okay with the Shiites getting nukes. 
And then you also have the Israel factor. And the Israelis, rightly so, take their enemies at their word. And when the enemy says, we're coming to kill you for every day for the last 40 years, Israel has to think, if America's not going to have our back, and the Sunnis aren't going to get on board quick enough with us, we're going to have to do a preemptive nuclear strike on Iran ourselves and let the pieces fall as they may, because we're not going to relive another Holocaust. And so this is a very precarious situation we find ourselves in, and I think the next six months are going to determine whether or not we're going to be in another world war in the Middle East. Something is different, Brandon, uh, from 1981, isn't it? So when Israel struck uh, the Osirak reactors in in, uh, Iraq... Iraq, yeah. Right? The world condemned uh, Israel. Maybe Gene Kirkpatrick didn't. Most of the world did. Right. But... um, it feels different now that if Israel were to do that kind of thing in Iran today, it would be a different effect. Is it because world opinion has moved and changed, or is it because countries like Iran are much more well-armed and more able to deploy their arms? I think it's a little bit of both okay. of those things, but I think the main issue is the money. Ah. Uh, China and Russia are devouring. I have a whole chapter in my book about how basically the the mullahs of Iran to save their sinking regime have basically allowed for China and Russia to colonize Iran for the oil mm-hmm. and to use Iran as a launching point for military operations against American assets in Iraq and and Syria. Um, and then also the Europeans led by the French especially, are licking their lips at being able to do deals uh, with Iran again. And this, and this has been a very intense point of debate between the Americans and the Europeans, notably the French and Germans, uh, because the French and, and really the Germans, I was watching a great special last week on uh, DW on YouTube, which is the German information channel, they had a debate in which the Ger- one of the heads of the German Foreign Policy Council, BGAP, was up there saying that, oh, no, no matter what, Europe is going to reopen business with Iran. Germany has to. It's going to save our economy. It's going to allow us to link up Iranian energy sources with European needs, and then it will allow us to link up with the Russians and then inevitably the China's Belt and Road Initiative. So Europe is moving beyond the United States now, and uh, Iran is going to play a critical factor there. And so I think that's one of the main reasons why everybody's sort of shrugging in the world when Israel's like, you know, they're going to come and wipe us out. Well, they don't care, these people, because they want the oil, they want the stuff, they want the money. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm with you now. One of the things that took place last week that no one would know if they got their news from the major newspapers was that the United States bombed Syria. Oh, Yeah. Now, it's probably tied to the second question I had for you. That was my first. And I guess the best way to to, to give you it is I'll I'll give it to you all at once and you unravel it for me. When Richard Nixon was president, his chief of staff wanted to nominate William F. Buckley to to an honorary position on a U.N. commission. And he said to Mr. Buckley, have you done anything to embarrass the president? And Mr. Buckley said, no, but the president has done an awful lot that embarrasses me. 
<laughs> now, yeah. today, yeah. I was watching all these news stories about Iran balking at rejoining nuclear talks with the U.S. Right. unless the U.S. Right. first drops its sanctions against Iran. That's the key. Right? Yeah. Okay. And everyone yeah. was saying, isn't this embarrassing to the U.S.? And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, I think the U.S. has done a pretty good job of embarrassing itself. Yeah. I give this yeah. all as one big plate for you to dispense yeah. for us. Yeah, well, so basically um, the bombing in Syria that happened, there was a couple different reasons. The first, the first is Anthony Blinken is obsessed with invading Syria. Anthony Blinken and that whole wing of Biden's foreign policy team, who are a lot of holdovers from either the Clinton years or the Obama years, they are obsessed with putting loads of American troops into Syria so that we can have, as, as Blinken said uh, six months ago to CBS News, leverage in Syria, whatever that means. And so that's part of this was part of, of that, that long-term agenda. And I guarantee you we're going to see greater levels of American military involvement over the next year in Syria. And then the second thing this is related to is they're picking up the Obama strategy so what Obama did in order to get uh, Iran to the table was Obama started slapping on sanctions. He started ratcheting up the rhetoric against against Iran, putting the pressure on. Now, everybody on the right, I remember this, we were all saying, wow, that's, that's great. He's doing this. It's about time. We didn't realize the ultimate plan was not to stick it to Iran. Obama's ultimate plan came through in 2015 when he got them to the table and basically gave them a legal pathway to nuclear weapons by 2025. And that was the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the nuke, the nuke deal. And so what's going on now is the Iranians have, since we abrogated the JCPOA under Trump in 2018, the Iranians have started to enrich uranium again. And the Biden team really thinks they can hit the reset button. And part of hitting the reset button is blowing up some stuff somewhere in the Middle East and saying, hey, look, Iran, we're going to do this to you. I guarantee you the Iranians do not care. I guarantee you the Iranians are looking at that and laughing, thinking the Americans don't get the game still. Hold that thought, hold, hold that thought yeah. because that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking too, Brandon. I was thinking, mm -hmm. well, we'll fill it in for, for the audience and for your feedback when we come back. But I was thinking if – if the Biden team is thinking that they're being smart and clever by, on the one hand, extending a glove, right, and on the other hand saying, right. but we won't put up with this, it's wrong. That's right. My view, That's too. Right. I'll That's have right. you unfold it with our audience. Brandon Weikert is also happy to take your questions. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He's the publisher of the Weikert Report, theweikertreport.com, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, and the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Uh, Brandon, we were talking a little bit about this, um, what, what we think is, 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 I think we think is a mistaken policy where the administration, the current Biden administration, thinks it's clever to, on the one hand, deploy the Department of Defense against Iranian outposts in places like Syria to show some level of seriousness or levels to which they will not tolerate, while at the other hand, dispatching people from the State Department to try and get them back to the negotiating table 
it, right. it's 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 not a good idea, right? Well, it's not because we've been through this before five years ago, or six years ago, or in twenty fifteen. Um, the the State Department. This is exactly what Obama did. Obama did it with sanctions, and actually, Obama's sanctions, which were carried over from the Bush years, is he kept on. Um, forgetting the guy's name, but he was the number two at the Treasury Department for the first term, for the first two years of Obama's administration. Stuart Levy, Bush maybe? Over. Was it Stuart Yes, Levy, Levy that's it. No. So he kept Levy on, and Levy was brilliant about using, about using sanctions to go after the banks, international banks that allowed Iran to do these transactions. And uh, it was very effective, and, and Obama had actually strangled, for all intents and purposes, Iran's economy and therefore their ability to conduct terrorism and, and foreign operations. And then Obama turns around in year three or four and starts saying to the Iranians, yeah, you don't like this. I can take the pressure off. Just meet me at the table. Right. Well, Iran said, okay, we'll meet you at the table, but we're not giving you anything. Right. We'll get our money and back. So Obama, yeah, right. <laughs> right. Obama <laughs> said, here's the cash. Here's the keys to the new car, kids. And, oh, by the way, don't get a nuclear bomb tomorrow, but don't worry. We'll integrate you like Nixon did with China. We'll integrate Iran into the world system, make the whole world dependent on Iran so that we can't ever decouple. And then you'll use that money, and in five or ten years you'll be able to have nukes all on your own, and Israel and the Sunni Arabs will just have to deal with it. And that was, and that's what we're going to do again. This is what the bombings in Syria are about. This is about showing force so that we have leverage over Iran, and the leverage is going to be given away because all Biden wants to do is return to the JCPOA from 2015. The problem is we've moved well beyond that. Iran has now enriched more uranium. I mean, it's insane. This is so backward to think it. I've got so many good questions uh, from the audience for you, uh, Brandon. So what I'm going to do is to work them in to make sure we get them in. I'm going to give them to you. And if we have time, I'm going to circle back to that part of the discussion we just uh, you just you were just pushing on. But let's let's get our audience in on here. Um, You and I did talk a little bit about this last week, but uh, this listener says, would you um, comment on the uh, declassification of the intelligence vis-a-vis Jamal Khashoggi? by the Biden administration and its impact on Saudi Arabia? Yeah. Well, um, basically, the, 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 it sounded at first like Biden was going to punish uh, Saudi Arabia. If you remember last week, yep. about the time after I got off the phone with you, yep. there was a report coming out that Biden was going to basically only have American diplomats deal directly with King Salman, uh-huh. uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's father. Um, and Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, has been running the country as the de facto ruler since Trump, since like three years, the last three years. And he's the heir apparent to become king. Um, but Biden was saying because we're the most important partner for Saudi Arabia and because Biden's team doesn't like the fact that MBS cut up Jamal Khashoggi, which was a terrible thing to do, but we're going to throw that whole relationship on the burner and, uh, uh, you know, do a big show. Well, what happened a week later was now Biden is walking that back. Biden's now saying, well, we, we don't, and they're releasing these intelligence reports. My understanding is that some of the names that we, we suspect of the people who were involved, we blacked out in the, uh, in the official report that was released to the public which indicates to me that the Biden administration uh, realized they were being irresponsible by throwing MBS and the Saudis under the bus 
and they're now trying to walk it back. This is we've seen this now with this Biden administration on a retinue of issues. Mm-hmm. Remember the student debt, exactly. the student debt issue. Exactly. They were going to cut fifty thousand dollars. Look, my wife and I would benefit from sure. that. I'm not going to lie, but it, you know it is what it is. And now suddenly he made that the platform, key tenant of his platform, and now suddenly that's been gone. Right. And the stimulus checks vote for Warnock and Ossoff in Georgia. Biden said, and you'll have your stimulus checks tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been six or eight weeks now, and we're still waiting. Mm-hmm. And so. You know, this administration is very irresponsible in its rhetoric. It's different from Trump, where Trump was kind of bombastic. But Trump ultimately acted in ways that were decisive. Biden is not acting in ways that are decisive. And I think that is expressly because he's not the only one with his hands on the steering wheel right now. And I think that's the problem here. And that's why they're talking about now removing the nuclear codes, I think, from his possession. Because he's not actually in control. It is very much like like a shadow... Uh, prime minister uh, in the form of Kamala Harris running things. So you have this big debate playing out between the utopian doves who want to go to war in the Middle East to spread democracy, as Obama and George W. Bush did, who want to basically let the Islamists take over in the Sunni Arab states, want to abandon Israel, and then want to let uh, the Islamists in Iran run roughshod over the region. And then you've got the other half of the team, who are more realists, more hawks, saying, we don't think that's the smartest idea. And that debate is playing out in front of everyone. And you see that with this starting and stopping of decision-making as it relates to the Middle East from Biden. It's very dangerous. And the Iranians are watching this laughing, because ultimately the Iranians know we have a red line, and we want nukes. And if the Americans will, will let us have that, if they will go up to that line and give us what we want, then sure, we'll sign whatever they want us to sign. But we're not going to give away anything. they got to give it to us. And they know they're dealing with an Obama acolyte in Biden, and they're going to get the same mm-hmm. basic deal mm-hmm. from Biden, which is not a deal. It's a concession. Mm-hmm. This is a concession to Iran. Mm-hmm. We're conceding the Middle East to them, mm-hmm. and it's very dangerous. Nicely said. Um, Let me give you this question from a listener emailed in. Are we seeing a realignment of Europe toward the Eurasian landmass, trade with China, trade with Iran? If Europe is neutral at best or a staging ground for the Eurasian landmass, China, Russia, Iran, do we lose a conventional war? Does it go nuclear or do we go back to the balance of terror with a new race to space and a contest for the new high ground? There's a lot in there. It's kind of interesting. Well, that's a great that's a great question, and I touch upon this in some of my book, in my my first book. I touch upon it in my next book, and so basically, Europe now that Britain is out um, and Biden's in charge of America, Europe is now being led by the the French, but really the Germans. The German and French are restoring their old power dominance over uh, the European Union and even NATO. I think at this point, and Germany and France in particularly German, Germany, they want to be closer to Russia and China. Let me hold and you so there on that. Let me hold you on that for a second, because i got to take a break, and this is big stuff. Let me uh, have you fill it out on the other side of this uh, break, if I can, Brandon, okay? I'm yeah. Seth Liebson. He's Brandon Weikert. Europe, Germany, France, Russia, Iran, and China. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He is the publisher of the Weikert Report. He is the author of Winning Space. He was getting into this uh, really, I think, important uh, and neglected question from a listener. Are we seeing a realignment of Europe toward uh, a Eurasian landmass, trade with China, trade with Iran, um, Russia? um, And what does that look like if ever things come to a conventional war or do they go nuclear? Brandon, if you want to take it from there. Thank you. so the, the, the basic answer to the question is, yes, Europe is realigning, uh, especially now that Britain has decoupled from the EU, which needed to happen. But this was predictable. And I wrote about this five years ago. Um, it, it was only natural that the next power center would be Germany and France and that they're operating in relative tandem on the issue of doing business with Iran uh, wanting to do greater business with China and uh, Russia, particularly Germany, with Russia's natural gas uh, product. It's, it's easier and cheaper for them to import it from neighboring Russia than it is to get from anywhere else because it has to go across the ocean, and that adds, the, that adds the cost. And so it means that the consumers in Germany would have to pay more. So it's easier for them to deal with Russia, which means they have to be nice to Russia. And let's face it, a lot of the Germans actually don't have a problem with Russia. We're you know, 40 years after the Cold War now, it's a different world over there, different generations, very little memory now of just what exactly the Russians put Germany through. In fact, elements of East of the former East German uh, state, which is now Eastern Germany, they, they some of them are very pro-Russia, knowing full well what the Russians had done over there. So there is a realignment. And I do think that this is a shift. It's happening slowly, but it is happening decisively. And I think this shift is going to uh, seriously isolate the United States. And I think this is, uh, it, it, it could lead, and in the book, the new book I wrote, uh, if it gets published, it, that we, I talk heavily about the prospects of a third world war. I think that, yes, we are entering the beginnings of one. I think it's going to be one of the most destructive conflicts in the history of our species. And, uh, and this relates to my first book. That's why we need to colonize Mars and the moon immediately so we have some redundancy for the species. Uh, but, yes, as Europe moves away from the United States and gets closer to China and Russia and Iran, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're rapidly approaching a world war situation where, just like the last two world wars, every modern piece of technology available to the combatants will be deployed in war. That doesn't mean European states are going to take up arms against the Americans. It does mean, though, that NATO will be considerably more or considerably weaker. And it does also mean that uh, the Chinese and Russians will have greater power projection capabilities into Europe, and that will be able to roll back and stunt British and American uh, power in the region. And this is going to be a big problem, obviously, especially because our good friends in Poland and Eastern Europe do not want to see Russia or China move in more to Europe than they already have. But this is the making. This is where the world is going. And the Biden administration uh, is getting pushed around by European countries, notably France and Germany, on these issues, and they don't seem to understand that. And so we're basically bleeding our influence quite significantly, and I don't know how you get that back. Yeah, that's the question. How do you get it back? And uh, I, I, I guess... You through, a new leader. Yeah, new leadership on the one hand or failure 
uh, to the point. I mean, yeah, I, I, I suppose fa- failure or or moral imprecation from what used to be known as Eastern Europe. I think. Right. Pete right. Uh, in Phoenix has a question for you. He's on the line. Hi, Pete. You're on with Brandon Weikert. Oh, hi, Seth. Uh, we invaded Iraq in 2003 and defeated Saddam's army in about a week. But then we found out the real military power in the country were, wasn't his army but the Shiite militias, and we never defeated them. They harassed us until we left. That's right. Then we had, then we had to come in after uh, ISIS took over the country, and these same Shiite militias, with the help of the Americans, drove ISIS out of the country. Uh, but now it appears we're about to go to war with these Shiite militias, uh, why do you think it, there'll be any different now than it was in 2003? I'll throw that to Brandon. Actually, I'll, act, I'll let Brandon do it on the other side of this break, if that's okay. We yeah. keep getting these great that's pregnant right. questions right before the tyranny of the <laughs> clock. But I'm Seth Liebson, and he's Brandon Weicker. Happy to take more of your calls as well. And Pete will have Brandon address your uh, yours to him in just one moment. Don't go away. 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Why do I say that balance of nature is not only good for you, but good? Good and good for you. Well, it's good for you. That's a self-evident proposition because you get tens of thousands of vital nutrients from all natural vine-ripened fruits and veggies with balance of nature's daily dose, just one daily dose of their vegetarian capsules. It gives you really 10 servings of fruits and veg- vegetables from powerful, potent stuff, apples, blueberries, papayas, cayenne pepper, wheatgrass, kale, carrots. It's a good thing to do, too, because they are uh, one of our sponsors that allows us to have these conversations and uh, keeps um, keeps conservative talk alive. So you're not only helping the public health by supporting Balance of Nature, you're boosting your immunity by taking it yourself. I haven't been sick in over a year since I've started taking Balance of Nature. I usually get colds several times a year, not even close to one this year like that guy on TV says. And they have a great deal, making it easy for you to get free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-246-8751 or visit them online at balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Good and good for you. We're talking with Brandon Weikert, publisher of the Weikert Report. Brandon, right before the break, question uh, from Pete, a listener here in Phoenix, was talking about the uh, the consequences of what happened when we went into Iraq and then discovering the problem of Shiite militias and then the various sides we've had to find ourselves in over those things ever since. And whether this is just an entanglement that's indefinite or how you see it, I think, is the is the essence of his question. Yes, and so uh, the the idea that uh, the Iranian militias were, you know, on our side is something that we hear a lot from people in reference to the war against ISIS. It's true that once we decided to take up the mantle of blasting ISIS apart, which was uh, formerly al-Qaeda in Iraq, it was a Sunni uh, extremist group, uh, and, of course, the, the Shiite militias are they, they're, they're Shiite Muslims, and they are relatively beholden to Iran. Um, once we started blowing up ISIS, naturally, groups like Kateb, uh, uh, Hezbollah in southern Iran, 
started uh, using America's airstrikes against ISIS to their advantage. It did not mean, however, that we were partners. What it meant was that our Air Force and our special forces fighting ISIS had basically cleared a pass for Shiite militias operating under the control of uh, the now deceased General Qasem Soleimani and the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Corps to go in and create a land bridge linking Iran through Iraq into Syria and down into Lebanon, where they could reinforce uh, Hezbollah, which is preparing to launch, I think, the mother of all attacks on Israel. And so uh, when we invaded Iraq in 2003, we thought that we would be basically removing an evil guy in Saddam having a friendly regime takeover that would be somewhat democratic, that we could control, and then would allow us to have bases in Iraq to check Iranian power. Because remember, in 2003, a few weeks after 9-11, Donald Rumsfeld pulled our air bases out of Saudi Arabia. And so Iraq was partly about being able to have our strategic location at the heart of the Muslim world at a time when terrorism was spiking. What we did not anticipate was that the Iranians would basically be able to colonize Iraq and then turn that into a platform uh, with which to attack the rest of the region, which they have done very well. And in fact, the Iraqi government is mostly Shiite, and they are themselves beholden to uh, the Iranians. And so now you have this, this, co- this quasi-colony in Iraq that was created by us when we went in on top of Saddam. When we hear those kinds of outlines and history, Brandon, it gives great credence to the kind of thing Donald Trump spoke of when he spoke of not engaging in these kinds of wars again. Um, Because it's um, – am I allowed to use the expression uh, punching – well, you you, you take it. Uh, You take my point. The more more you punch, the harder it is to egress and sometimes the more problems you cause. So the question really becomes a really very serious geostrategic one, and to get, I'd be curious to know your thoughts on this. Maybe unfair because it's such a big question, but what are the conditions under which the U.S. should use its military in the Middle East? And I, um, my my answer is probably nowhere near as sophisticated as yours. I certainly think to protect the integrity, uh, the uh, geographic integrity of an ally. Short of that, um, response to terrorism, after that, I have a hard time coming up with good reasons anymore. Well, when we're talking about American force, are we talking about covert operations? No, I'm all for that. I'm talking about major military deployments. Yeah, so we shouldn't be doing major military operations, period, in the region. That's a pretty good worldview. Okay, there it is. We have have major, well-connected uh, fabulously wealthy uh, allies in Israel and the Sunni Arab states. And in the Sunni Arab states, whereas until even six or seven years ago, the Sunni Arabs, as led by Saudi Arabia, were quite reticent to really kind of take up the mantle of going after, in particular, Iran. Nowadays, ever since the JCPOA and ever since MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, the young crown prince, became the point person in the kingdom, which is why Biden should not be trying to get rid of him. Uh, ever since MBS took, the, took over the mantle, he has not only 
started seriously reforming the kingdom, allowing women's rights, uh, however small, allowing uh, the, the Vision 2030 plan, which would make Iran not just reliant on oil. Uh, these are great things that he's doing. He's also coupled that with a, a rapidly anti-Iranian policy, so much so that it is Saudi Arabia working behind the scenes. And I don't take credit for this because there's a lot of radicals in the Saudi population that wouldn't like this. But it is Saudi Arabia during the Trump years that got the Gulf states to enter into the Abraham Accords. They have not, Saudi Arabia themselves has not yet done it because it's, it's a very hot button topic and they don't want to risk. But they got their satellites to do it. They got their satellites to do it. Yes, they got their, so they're the last chip to go. And already there are talks between Netanyahu's government and MBS, direct talks. Yeah. So what's happening now is you have in, in Saudi Arabia in particular, they have the money, they've been buying the advanced equipment, they now have switched from being a domestic security force, anti-terrorism force, to now, and it's, it's very bloody what they've been doing, but that's because of inexperience, they've now started going after Iranian assets in Yemen. They, that's what that air war is about. It's not because they're trying to kill kids. It's, it's unfortunate that this is happening. But what's really going on is Saudi Arabia is trying to fundamentally change their military into being a modern expeditionary force that can go around the region and basically kick Iran's butt wherever they appear outside of Iran. And that is a great thing for us. So we need to build that up. We need to build up the Israelis. We need to create a regional security alliance that marries the Israelis and the Sunni Arabs into a kind of quasi-Middle East NATO. And we could take a step back offshore and let those two groups deal with Iran, because Iran is the major threat. Hold it that there. Hold the it there. Thing. Let me have a concluding thought on that point when we come back. Is that sure. okay, Brandon? Great. We'll be right yep. back with a concluding thought from Brandon Weikert in just a moment. TheWeikertReport.com is his website. Be right back. Uh, we've been del- we've been delighted to have Brandon Weikert as our guest this past hour. And for the concluding thought, Brandon, let me pitch it to you this way. I, I think you were on your way there, but uh, just for some context about how quickly the world can change with right stewardship. I remember th- 2003, four, five. There was a lot of hand wringing about Saudi Arabia. I remember going to lectures in Washington about um, how how bad the world would fare, the Middle East, America interests because of the of the um, Sunni radicalism of the of the Saudi regime, David Price Jones. I will, I'll never forget a lecture he yeah. gave on how much we need to be worried about it. He said it won't end well. Was his concluding lines? And that's just not the case today, right? Not really. It could be there, right. Like I said, right. It's a mixed, it could be. It's a mixed right. bag. Right. But they have the right leader in MBS, and that's the key here. You don't want someone like Mohammed bin Nayef, his cousin. Uh, who did a lot in helping to curb al-Qaeda. The problem is he's associated with elements of the Saudi uh, regime that are a little bit more sympathetic to the Islamists, and he's also an old-timer. MBS is young. He's got staying power, and he's vicious. Now, that means that, you know, unfortunately you're going to have gross things like the Khashoggi murder, but that also means he's going to be able, if left alone, to keep the crazy Islamists in his midst down. And that's critical here. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't want Saudi Arabia to get nuked. I make that very clear in my 2018 column uh, from American Spectator, where I said, don't let Saudi Arabia get nuked. But we do want them to have everything besides that. We want them to have the advanced fighter craft. 
the advanced training. We want them coming here to learn from us so they can apply those teachings in the war against Iran. And it is very much a war right now. And then we need to pair that advanced force with Israel. And in a perfect world, if we could figure out how to crack the Turkey problem, we could also bring Turkey into the fray. But I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon because Erdogan's completely nuts. Uh, so besides that, you definitely need Israel and the Sunni state, as led by Saudi Arabia, managing day-to-day affairs and containing Iran, while we take a step back and return to the role of what Stephen M. Watt would say is an offshore balancer. We're the, the, the ally of last resort. You let the Saudis and the Israelis, with all that American equipment, do the fighting and dying for most of the time. And then if things get really out of control, then we come in. And we also should extend explicitly the nuclear umbrella to protect Saudi Arabia and the Sunni states so they don't feel the pressure to create their own nuclear weapons program. And that's the key. That's really well done, Brandon. Thank you, sir. Thank, Thank you for all you that's do. That's my book. Well, there we go. When does it come out in the fall? Well, I don't know yet. I'm still waiting to hear back from him. Like I said, I just sent it. Yeah, you won't hear back for another week. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) We love you, Brandon Weikert. Thank you for everything. God bless you. Yes, sir. We'll talk next week. God bless. Bye-bye.